If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles once again to the passage that we read together from Acts chapter 8. And with the Lord's help this morning, we're going to be looking at a portion of, of verse 21, Acts 8, chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, verse 21. And these are the words that uh, Peter was speaking to Simon Magus, but uh, specifically these words where he says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Dear congregation, uh, these are striking words. In fact, I would say they're some of the most poignant words uh, that one can read in uh, the New Testament other than the Lord's rebuke of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the elders, the ruling class, when he calls them a, a brood of vipers. Here Peter says that he perceives that Simon is in the, the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity, that thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And what's interesting about this is that Simon, uh, as he heard the gospel, as many others did, who were also baptized with him, uh, he made a declaration of faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So much so, and so convincingly so, that there was no reason that the apostles, especially Peter, would say, uh, it's not time yet for you, there's other things that you need to work out. By all outward appearances, he was, we could say, as devout a follower of uh, the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ as those who were gathered with him. And remember that he was also a gifted man, uh, that he was a man who was a soothsayer or we could say a, a, a magician. He was vol- involved in the dark arts and in that culture at that time, that would be a very prominent person within the community. Everyone would know who he was. Everyone would have a certain amount of, of respect for what he uh, represented and what he did, even though it was a, a sinful thing. And so I would imagine that many people who saw that, uh, that Simon himself was being baptized, that this man is going to be very useful in the kingdom. Unbeknownst to the people, and certainly uh, to the apostles at the beginning, something was missing in him. Certainly something not seen by the naked eye. And there was no revelation given to Peter by the Lord, some secret that he knew something about this man that wasn't quite right. It only came after letting him speak his own mind from his own heart. And then it was discovered by Peter that his heart was wrong. And when the heart is wrong, everything is wrong. And how many people are currently in this situation? Their their confession is correct. Their their outward life seems to be consistent with, with what they confess. They're approved by the assembly of the saints. But the heart, on the other hand, is not right in God's eyes. 
And so let us consider thinking about this communion season that we've entered. Let's think about a few things of the many characters and characteristics of both the believer and the unbeliever in this. Because the, 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 the words here that are spoken by Peter have a, an application that is rather far-reaching. And may the Lord bless a few simple words in persuading some, encouraging others, and commending others. Our theme will be, Thy, uh, is your heart right persuading some, encouraging some, and commending some. First, then, persuading some. Let me first say, your heart is not right, undecided, man or woman, boy or girl. You should, you should either be for God or against God. You must be completely devoted to Christ or to the world. Everything or nothing should be the case. You're wrong. Your heart is wrong if you are torn between the two, torn between the world and and Christ. Your heart is not right, formalist. Having a form of godliness, Paul says to Peter in 2 Timothy 3, but denying the power thereof. That your religion is, is empty of spiritual life and power and love. And yes, you may read your Bible And you may say your prayers, and you may sing the psalms, and you may attend religious services, but it's it's out of custom. It's out of obligation. That God has uh, has never been freely uh, open to you in Christ, that, that God's love has never freely been experienced by you. There's something missing. That your conscience has never been cleansed with the atoning blood of Christ. That the Holy Spirit's power has never been felt in your soul. You are mistaken. And I hope you discover your error before it's too late. Your heart is not right, man-fearer. When you're afraid of what people may think of you, more than what God thinks of you. Children, I was shown a a, a picture the other day of the Fifth Avenue Easter Parade downtown Manhattan on Fifth Avenue from 1901. So it was a black and white picture. You could tell by looking at the picture that these were the upper class of society. They were very well-dressed. Women had on those you know, very large hats and the umbrellas, and men were dressed in three-piece suits. Everyone looked top shelf. And then the person showing me this picture says, do you know who this person is? And of course, I, I said no. And how about, how about this person and, and, and that person? 
And I said, no. And he said, all of them cared, I'm sure, of what other people thought of them. All of them were very involved in their own lives and were concerned of what this person thought and how this was going to happen to me and, and, and what's my status here in, in New York City and among, among these people. Everyone had their own dreams and struggles and full lives. But today, no one even knows they exist. You know, in fact, up to date, historians tell us that between the time of creation and now, there's probably around 117 billion people that have lived. And no one is remembered. Few people are remembered, but no one is remembered. And you know, that's going to be you and I in 50 a hundred years. No one will even know we're here. Even a pastor like myself, someone will say the name, oh yeah, wasn't he a, a pastor somewhere? Yeah. No one's going to remember us. And yet we have such a tremendous fear of what other people think about us. How are people going to remember me? truth of the matter is, and and studies have shown this, within three generations, hardly anything will be known about you and I. When we fear man more than God, our heart is not right. I, even I, am he that comfort you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die and the son of man which shall be made as grass, Isaiah 51 says. Something similar in Isaiah 22. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils. For wherein is he to be accounted of? And if you openly profess Christ, but you are afraid of losing man's approval or suffering man's disapproval or of losing some esteem, then thy heart is not right. Likewise, your heart is not right, mask wearer. And the eyes of God, the the hypocrite, is one who wears a mask and pretends to be something he's not. You're well aware that how you're acting is not who you truly are in your heart of hearts or when you are alone with yourself or perhaps even with your family. That you know that you have little or no love for God or living faith in Christ, but you pretend to be religious for, I don't know what it is, some type of gain. Maybe it's status. To please some, some people that you admire. To, to, to fit into a mold or, or, or some other unworthy motive. You are mistaken because your heart is not right. 
Your heart is not right, worldly-minded one. You who are more concerned with, with temporal things, this life, than you are with the life that is to come. Who value things over grace. And give your heart, if you were to be honest, give your heart to the world and not to God. Because if we profess religion, we profess to have been quickened from deadness in sin to life in Christ. And that means the object of life, that means the the desire of life uh, has changed. That, That this world around us becomes the means and the tools by which we are drawn further and further into Christ and into the things that pertain to eternity. We profess to have been raised with Christ and to set our affections on things above. And that word affections there means your your deepest heart's desire, not on things below. And it's not as if things below uh, cannot be enjoyed and and that they have no meaning, but in the light of a never-dying soul, we can say that they have very little meaning. Our hopes and desires and affections should be in heaven. And if they aren't, then our heart's not right. And your heart is not right, presumptuous one. And by that I mean the, the, the light uh, skimmer in grace, whose, whose actions contradict their beliefs, who, who, who claim God's, uh, God's people's privileges with, without a right to them and, and God's promises without true faith. If your heart is not right. Because you know what is missing in the presumptuous? They have no conscience, uh, a conscience of a of a broken heart for sin. No repentance unto life. No tenderness of heart. But they are, they are often very bold and loud and unfeeling. And if this is you, then this morning, your heart is not right. Your heart is not right lukewarm one. You who in your secret place criticize others' zeal and fervor and and wholeheartedness while being neither hot nor cold yourself. You see, because God requires devotion. That the continued sacrifice of our bodies and souls and minds to His service, if we are half-heartedly self-satisfied and uninterested in God's glory, then our heart is not right in the sight of God. Your heart is not right, backslider. 
One who ran well but has been hindered. Who was earnest but is no longer so. And yes, if your closet is neglected, if your Bible is unread, if God's ordinances are no longer cherished, rest assured that thy heart is not right in the sight of God. But what will we say to the the covetous and the liar and the dishonest, the secret drunkard and the the unfeeling or, or any others in the list that we're about to read in the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper if, if such characters are wrong. Even so, there are many who wear a religious cloak, who wish to be called God's friends and Christ's disciples, but He doesn't own them. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not my will, Jesus says. Never then bearing them into the presence of his Father. Where depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels is what they will hear. And they will perish everlastingly. And you know, the sad thing about this is, not only to a Simon Magus, and the other kinds of hearts that I've mentioned this morning. The sad thing about this is that the the child of God finds himself in every one of those. Or many of them. And so secondly, I want to encourage some. Perhaps we can feel a little isolated in thinking that these things belong only to the hypocrite, to those who are not born again, the the deeply religious but unconverted. But if you're anything like me, when these things are opened up before the heart, you say within yourself, I see myself. I see myself. And you know, that's not an unusual thing for the, for the believer, for the child of God to experience. And if you would just read the Psalms, you, you, you see in the Psalms that David is, is often in this, um, this, this conflict of experience between the, the, the high mountain peak and the deep dark valley where he prays, cleanse thou me from hidden faults and secret sins, but also says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I take great comfort in the Psalms because here on earth the the true believer has two sides. The true believer has the old nature and the new nature that, yes, the old man is, is, 
is perishing and, and will ultimately die. He is, he is dead in that sense, but, but he is still kicking and fighting in his death throes and the new man is being raised to newness of life and will ultimately have victory. But here is the battle here on earth. Here is the struggle that we feel. His experience isn't all joy, but it's also not all sorrow. Rather, it's a mix of both. As Paul says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It is a life of laughter through tears. When a person is born again, he he doesn't get to go to heaven or she doesn't get to go to heaven that minute. Even though sin's dominion over him is broken, he is not um, extricated from his being. That indwelling corruption casts a shadow and it can cast a shadow over our happiness. Sometimes a very dark one. And we feel the weight of this warning this morning, don't we? Perhaps even more than the unbeliever. The believer's awareness of indwelling sin, mourning over its defiling influences, and and sincere efforts to resist its call and, and have penitent confessions before God and and new promises for the the future to to master this persistent foe. Those are among the undeniable evidences of a child of God. This struggle does not live in the unbelieving. No one who is dead in trespasses and sins realizes that there is an ocean of iniquity within his heart, tainting his very soul and mind, much less to make conscience over it and to mourn over it. And if your eyes have been opened to see something of the of the sinfulness of sin, and your heart has felt its effects, it is, my dear one, cause for true rejoicing. Because it wasn't always like that, was it? That at some point over time... uh, A real change has taken place and you've been chosen to be the subject of the miracle of grace. When you come to see these things and and see yourself and grieve afresh, it is not, dear one, to harm you. It is to help you. And God allows sin in His people to remain. To help them grow in humility and in dependence upon Him. 
and those are beautiful graces. There's nothing that God hates more than pride. The Holy Spirit lists seven things that the Lord despises that He hates in Proverbs 6. And believe me, He hates all sin. But the first one that He mentioned here is a, in, in Proverbs 6 is a proud look. But He gives grace to the humble, James says. By these Spirit-sent convictions... especially during a week of reflection or preparation, by these spirit-sent convictions, the, the, the filth within us is, is stirred up and it's swished by divine motion. And it is lit up by divine light, causing us to cry out afresh like the leper, unclean, unclean. And they frequently grieve, O wretched man that I am, as a result of the painful and even even the new discoveries of indwelling sin. What a blessing it would be if God made us abhor ourselves so that Jesus Christ would become more precious And you know, that is the purpose, that is the center mark of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus Christ. And dear one, let's remember that in the Old Testament that that God left some Canaanites in the land of, of Israel to humble Israel. Just as He leaves sin in us. To humble us. And if used rightly, then our awareness of sin's presence has a first order effect. It clears the way for a pardoning and cleansing Christ to meet that need. And then he becomes more precious. As we're going to see this, this evening, Lord willing. And it also has a, a, a constant abasing effect on us too. Causing us to, to realize our utter lack and then our complete dependence upon God. It serves to make us more aware of the, of the great physician's perfect cure for such lepers as we see ourselves to be. And to marvel more and more at his, what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, his long suffering toward us. Which should give the child of God reason to adopt a, a spirit of patience toward each other. We should not expect others to be any less prone to failure than you and I are. Well, lastly, helping some. 
We're about to read the first part of the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper, and I would encourage you to listen to it all, but and to take to heart both sides, because there are two parts, two aspects, if you will, of, of the Lord's Supper. And then after, of the form for the Lord's Supper, and after that great list is read of those who must abstain themselves, and, and, and who doesn't, when that part of the form is read, not place themselves there and say, well, then it's impossible for me to go. To go to that precious paragraph. But this is not designed, dearly beloved brethren and sisters in the Lord, to deject the contrite heart of the faithful. As if none might come to the supper of the Lord but those who are without sin. For we do not come to this supper to testify thereby that we are perfect and righteous, in ourselves, but on the contrary, considering that we seek our life outside ourselves in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we lie in the midst of death. Therefore, notwithstanding, we feel many infirmities and miseries within ourselves, as namely that we have not perfect faith And that we do not give ourselves to serve God with that zeal that we're bound. And we have daily to strive with the weakness of our faith and the evil lusts of our flesh. Yet, yet, since we are by the grace of the Holy Spirit sorry for these weaknesses and earnestly desirous to fight against our unbelief, And to live according to all of the commandments of God. Therefore we rest assured that no sin or infirmity which still remaineth against our will in us can hinder us from being received of God in mercy. And from being made worthy partakers of that heavenly meat and drink. And I say, Lord, I know my heart is not right so much of the time. And I come confessing that before thee again. For the thousandth time. So that the heart is right. When the Holy Spirit moves upon it. When it has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And it's influenced by God's love. It is forced then into a humble rejoicing. And praise and thanksgiving for what He has done. It's right when we come confessing afresh. Kneeling afresh. Praying afresh. Hearing afresh. Receiving afresh. when it is reliant upon Christ, when it's in union with Christ and desiring to be governed by the Word of Christ, and then it begins to beat in unison with Him. It is right only when the heart is filled with the Holy Spirit and consecrated to the Lord's service and aimed supremely 
at the glory of God. The unbeliever's heart is always not right. But even in those who are born of God, it is often partially and at times, even for a season, not right. And we grieve. And so this this communion season, let us remember that the Lord's gaze is fixed upon the heart. That he searches man's hidden parts. And even if we deceive others, or even if we are deceived by ourselves for a time, he cannot be deceived. And yes, the Lord will reveal who has the the right heart and who does does not in his own time and in his own way. When does he not do that? But it's under the word, by the means of grace. Therefore, while we consider the the terrible and dangerous state of those hearts who are not right in God's eyes, let's be very concerned that, that whatever else may happen, that our heart is right in His sight. Because if the heart is right, everything else will be right in the end. And if anyone here this morning truly desires a pure heart, then I thank God for the opportunity to encourage you. I praise God for allowing me to boldly proclaim to you this morning, whoever you may be here this morning, look at Christ, seek Christ, flee to Christ. For what purpose did our blessed Lord Jesus enter the world? For what purpose did He willingly submit his precious body to be crucified? What was the purpose of his death and resurrection? For what reason did he ascend into heaven and and now sits at God's right hand? For what purpose did Christ go to such lengths to provide a complete salvation for poor sinners like you and like me? Salvation from sin's dominion and sin's condemnation and power for all who believe. Yes, indeed, I received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, Psalm 68 says, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And so He is waiting to pour out the Spirit on everyone who comes to Him, even this morning, no matter what your condition. If you will only come to Jesus once or the ten thousandth time, He will apply mercy and grace, forgiveness, and a new heart to you through His Spirit. 
And may God the Holy Spirit apply these words to our hearts as we begin this communion season. Amen. Let us now turn to the back of our Psalter, page 125. No, that's not right. 135. Page 135. And we'll read the first part of the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper, which will end in the second column on page 136. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, attend to the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 29. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That we may now celebrate the supper of the Lord to our comfort, it is above all things necessary, first, rightly, to examine ourselves, secondly, to direct it to the end for which Christ hath ordained and instituted the same, namely, to his remembrance." The true examine of ourselves consists in these three parts. First, that everyone consider by himself his sins and the curse due to him for them, to the end that he may abhor and humble himself before God, considering that the wrath of God against sin is so great that rather than it should go unpunished, he hath punished the same in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Secondly, that everyone examine his own heart, whether he doth believe this faithful promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed and freely given him as his own, yea, so perfectly as if he had satisfied in his own person for all his sins and fulfilled all righteousness. Thirdly, that everyone examine his own conscience whether he purposeth henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in his whole life and to walk uprightly before him, as also whether he hath laid aside unfeignedly all enmity, hatred, and envy, and doth firmly resolve henceforward to walk in true love and peace with his neighbor. All those then who are thus disposed, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of the table of his Son, Jesus Christ. On the contrary, those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment to themselves. 
Therefore, we also, according to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, admonish all those who are defiled with the following sins to keep themselves from the table of the Lord and declare, declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ, such as all idolaters, all those who invoke deceased saints, angels, or other creatures, all those who worship images, all enchanters, diviners, charmers, and those who confide in such enchantments, all despisers of God and of His Word and of the Holy Sacraments, all blasphemers, all those who are given to raise discord, sects, and mutiny in church or state, all perjured persons, all those who are disobedient to their parents and superiors, all murderers, contentious persons, and those who live in hatred and envy against their neighbor, all adulterers, whoremongers, drunkards, thieves, usurers, robbers, gamesters, covetous, and all who lead offensive lives. All these, while they continue in such sins, shall abstain from this meat, which Christ hath ordained only for the faithful, lest their judgment and condemnation be made the heavier. But this is not designed, dearly beloved brethren and sisters in the Lord, to deject the contrite hearts of the faithful, as if none might come to the supper of the Lord but those who are without sin. For we do not come to this supper to testify thereby that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. But on the contrary, considering that we seek our life out of ourselves in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we lie in the midst of death. Therefore, notwithstanding, we feel many infirmities and miseries in ourselves, as namely that we have not perfect faith, and that we do not give ourselves to serve God with that zeal as we are bound, but have daily to strive with the weakness of our faith and the evil lusts of our flesh, Yet since we are, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, sorry for these weaknesses and earnestly desirous to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God, therefore we rest assured that no sin or infirmity which still remaineth against our will in us can hinder us from being received of God in mercy and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly meat and drink thus far. Congregation, shall we pray together? O most gracious, good-doing God in heaven, we bless Thee for Thy Word uh, that by Thy Spirit can penetrate to the very core of our being uh, to show us who we are, and what would become of us if we were left to ourselves, but also the glorious, marvelous invitation for sinners to come unto Thee, to take all of our burdens and all of our cares and cast them upon the One who is the suitable yoke fellow, the great burden bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ who said, come unto me. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, saith the Lord. And how true that is, not only for that one who is being first reconciled unto thee, but for thy people, time and again, to be enamored and touched and reacquainted with the first principle of faith. 
And Lord, is that not what Thou hast given uh, Thy table for? Is that not what the elements of the shed blood in the wine and the broken body, uh, broken flesh in the bread point to? Do this in remembrance of me. And so we pray that this day, this morning, and all that we will go through together as a flock this day may be to uh, thy glory and the uplifting of Christ and that triune salvation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the household of salvation. And Lord, may it be that thou would gather thy people in a week's time uh, to the visible means, to that visible sermon, the special means of grace, and that thou would receive all glory and praise. Apply these words also to those who are yet in the state of darkness, who are strangers to Christ. That would use these words to prick their conscience to see who they are, that they too might fall with the cross and receive that great forgiveness and redemption, reconciliation that is found in Him. So bless us further in this day and all that we have now. Go before us, we pray, and be about us. Unite us together again, if it be thy will this evening, that we may hear more from thy word. And we will give thee all thanks and praise. All of this we ask for Jesus' sake alone. Amen.